Good morning, Cross Point Church. Pastor Dave here, and uh, I want you to know that if you are watching this, we appreciate you. We don't say this enough on Sunday mornings, and I have to admit, sometimes we just forget, but as part of our virtual campus, you are very important to us. If you can't be with us on a Sunday, we still want to be able to connect with you. We still want to be able to build you up in your faith and to remind you that you are an important part of our church. And the reason that you're watching this video and not the live stream is because we're having an outdoor service today that starts at 10 a.m. at Valley View Park in New Berlin, followed by a church picnic. And we would love to have you join us for that if you can. So you can still come out to Valley View Park in New Berlin even when you're done watching this. Uh, we're gonna kick things off probably about 11.30 and have a great time of fellowship and some food and just hanging out at a great park. Uh, Valley View Park is located on South Sunny Slope Road, just south of Beloit in New Berlin. It's just a few miles from our church. We would love to have you join us. If you can't, just remember that you're important to us and we would love to see you again on a Sunday morning very soon. Now we've been in a series in the book of Acts called The Gospel Gone Viral, and today we are going to be looking at Acts chapter eight. And that means that we're skipping Part of Acts chapter 7, but I want to kind of summarize for you uh, what's been going on. I'm going to do that in just a few minutes. But the title of today's message is The Church is Scattered. And one of the questions I'd like to ask you as we start here is, how do you kill a movement? The Church of God in the power of the Holy Spirit is a movement. It's a movement of the gospel. It's the movement of God's redemption in the world. That's what we're part of. We're a part of God's movement through the world to redeem people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do you kill a movement? That's what the enemies of God have been trying to figure out for centuries. And over the past few weeks, we've watched as the early church faced all kinds of obstacles, yet nothing seems to slow them down. So far, the church has overcome persecution, corruption, and distraction. What more can you do to kill a movement? Well, you can scatter it. If you can force the people inside the movement to scatter, and if you can force them to keep quiet, or better yet, if you can kill them, you can usually, if not always, kill the movement. For example, one of the most powerful, destructive movements of the 20th century was the Nazi movement. Adolf Hitler envisioned a thousand-year Reich, and instead what he produced was 12 years of mass destruction and genocide. And how did the world kill the Nazi movement? We got our allies together and we went to war. Over 75 million people lost their lives. And in 1945, knowing he was finished, Adolf Hitler took his own life and his followers scattered and the movement died shortly after. In the sports world, we usually call a movement a dynasty if it's a winning movement. And in 1998, we witnessed, or in the 1990s I should say, we witnessed one of the greatest sports dynasties of all time as the Chicago Bulls won six NBA championships. In 1998, the Bulls won their final championship. They won 62 games that year during the regular season. But the following season, they only won 13 games and they haven't been to the NBA Finals since. How did that happen? The team was scattered. Um, Bulls general manager Jerry Krause chose not to give uh, Phil Jackson a new contract. He traded Scottie Pippen for Roy Rogers, who none of you probably even know who that is. He let Dennis Rodman go. He traded Luke Longley and Steve Kerr. And when Phil Jackson left, the great Michael Jordan made his retirement official, his second retirement. The coaches and players were scattered, and that was the end of the Chicago Bulls championship dynasty. 
Would this same strategy work against the gospel movement through the early church? Today, we're going to find out. As the church grows and faces some complex challenges, more leaders have emerged. And last week we saw as the church chose seven men to run a food program and preserve the unity and strength of the church. And one of those men went by the name of Stephen. Now Stephen was a well-known, he was well-known and respected by everyone in the church. He was one of the Greek-speaking uh, Jewish believers. He was a humble servant leader. He was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He was full of God's grace and power. He was performing signs and miracles among the people. He was super gifted at teaching and defending the gospel. He was a brilliant preacher. It seemed like he could do it all. He was loved and revered by the people. He was bold. He was charismatic. Uh, he was powerful. When he spoke, everyone listened. Even the brightest opponents of the gospel could not withstand his teaching about Jesus. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is killed by the enemies of Jesus. In a fit of rage, the highest Jewish court seized Stephen, dragged him out of the city, and threw stones at him until he died. And just like that, everything changes for the church. Peter and John had been persecuted before. The apostles had been persecuted, and they were ready for that. They did not back down for a second. They were prepared to die for their faith in Jesus. But to this point, the church has not faced widespread hostility and persecution. And a young man named Saul stood by and watched Stephen die a slow, painful death, and he applauded what was happening. And here's the account from Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Not sure if you'll remember this, but the last time I preached on this passage was in April of 2020 from a coffee shop in downtown West Dallas. And why was I preaching at a coffee shop? Because our church was not allowed to gather. We were, we were forced to scatter. We were not allowed to meet and worship in public. And that was not because of persecution. It was to ensure public health and safety. And in Acts chapter 8, the church was shut down. These Christians could not meet publicly anymore because they were under intense persecution. And the man leading this charge and doing everything he could to kill the movement is a man named Saul. You know him better by his Greek name, Paul. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek name. It's the same person. Now he is going house to house. He's dragging men and women off to prison. And he didn't stop there. If he could find a way, he would see to it that more and more of these Christians would be put to death just like Stephen was. The ruling council in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, had already put in effect a ban about talking, a ban um, on talking about Jesus, and Jews were not allowed to spread this news about Jesus anywhere. They were threatened, they were arrested and imprisoned, they were at times physically beaten, and this is a, 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 a harsh picture of the persecution that was going on in the first century church. Um, these are people in power harassing people of faith in order to persuade or force them to stay quiet or better yet to give up their faith and this persecution was so severe and intense that many believers left their homes sounds like pretty much all the believers left their homes and villages and they scattered just in order to survive 
And this is what the enemies of God wanted. This is the next phase of their strategy. And we know this because I want you to listen to what happened. We didn't read this passage in, the, in recent weeks, but in Acts chapter 5, the apostles were arrested, not just Peter and John, apparently all 12 of them, when they had, and when they had given their defense of the gospel, this is how the high council responded in Acts chapter 5, verse 33. The high council was furious and decided to kill them. They wanted to kill all the apostles right there. But one member, a Pharisee, Pharisee named Gamaliel, was, who was an expert in the religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Theodas, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all of his followers were scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day from house to house, uh, every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. So here we're told that other movements gained momentum before the time of Jesus. People were attracted to these charismatic leaders a following grew to hundreds of people but when the leader was killed the followers were scattered and the movement died so that begs the question why did the church not die jesus was killed and his followers were scattered but just the opposite happened the movement grew why because jesus is alive because the holy spirit is with his followers because when the followers of jesus are scattered they don't back down in fear they don't stay quiet they keep telling people about jesus now, in Acts chapter 11, Luke circles back to these believers and listen to what he writes in verse 19. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. This had never happened before. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. So pressure, threats, and hostility did not silence these ordinary believers. It only scattered them, and that is exactly what Jesus wanted. This is what Jesus said was going to happen. If you remember back to Acts chapter 1, when we talked about the mission of the church, Jesus said this in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, this is important to understand. This was not part of the church's plan. This was not the result of some great outreach program. This is all the work of God. This, this persecution, this scattering, send, sending these believers out beyond Jerusalem to these other Gentile Greek-speaking cities. That's all God's doing. This was not the church, I don't think, knew when or how to do it. But God 
brought it to pass. Listen to Genesis 50:20 at the end of the book of Genesis when we read about sort of the conclusion of Joseph's life and legacy. Joseph said this to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Joseph understood the plan of God, the sovereignty of God, and the will of God. And anytime the enemies of God try to kill God's movement or stifle the growth of God's kingdom, it never works. God always wins. God is always on the move. God can take the worst kinds of evil and death and bring new life out of it. Paul echoes this in Romans chapter 8, a very famous verse, where in verse 28 we read, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. The church in Acts chapter 8 has just suffered a tragic blow. One of their most influential and powerful and beloved leaders was suddenly killed for talking about Jesus, and a tidal wave of persecution and hostility is is sweeping over this church of 10,000 strong. All these Jesus followers are scattered. They are losing their freedom. They're losing their homes. They're forced to leave everything they know behind. They're traveling to foreign cities, fighting to survive. Their faith has cost them something. It has cost them comfort. It's cost them security and safety. It's cost them personal property. It's cost them financially. They're being tested. And in God's eyes, this is all good. This is all God's doing. This is all for the good of God's kingdom. Listen again to Acts chapter 11, verse 21. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. This is this is God. God is behind this. These Christians were bearing fruit everywhere, and not because they were, again, They're not executing some great plan or strategy. For the first time in history of God's redemption movement, Jews were reaching out intentionally to Gentiles and inviting them to know God personally through faith in God's chosen one, God's righteous one, Jesus. And the Gentiles were turning to Christ in droves. It's not because they're good. It's not because they're gifted preachers or teachers or because they are, um, you know, skilled communicators. It's only because God's hand was with them. It's all because of God. The persecution, the scattering of the believers, the sharing of the message, it's all God's doing because God loves all people and sometimes God moves in surprising, in such a surprising way that he takes what most of us would consider a major disappointment and he uses, he uses it. He uses the chaos and the suffering and the separation to bring his rescue plan together and to send his messengers places they thought they would never go. One of those places is Antioch. It says in verse 20, however, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. Antioch is the third largest city in the world at this time behind Rome and Alexandria. It's a notoriously wicked city. It's known for sexual immorality. Among other things, church historian Frank Viola said this, Antioch is a pest hole of infectious disease. Swollen eyes, skin rashes, and lost limbs are readily seen in public. The city is filled with misery, danger, despair, fear, and hatred. The average family lives in filthy and crowded quarters. At least half the children die at birth or during infancy. Crime is rampant and the streets are unsafe at night. Okay, This is not a destination. This city is ripe for the gospel and it's just full of people. Followers of Jesus are first called Christians in Antioch. And why is that? 
because they're always talking about this man, Jesus Christ. They're obsessed with him. For the first time, the gospel is reaching Gentile cities, including one of the largest cities in the world, and that means the gospel is about to explode. And who is responsible for this monumental shift in the movement from, the, from Jerusalem to the rest of the world? Who's responsible? It's not the apostles. It's not the leadership team. It's not the missions team. It's random Christians who are not even named. These ordinary Christians are the ones who took this step. They aren't looking for attention. They don't need any special credit for this. They aren't even trying to make a name for themselves. We might never know their names. Think about this for a minute. The professional sport, uh, um, we're a culture that values name recognition and celebrity status and accomplishments, right? Professional sports is a huge part of our culture here in the United States. And I realize many of you are not NBA, big NBA fans. And, and I know why. NBA players in particular are all about themselves. And, and most pro athletes are. But NBA players are, are, are not shy about this. They love celebrating themselves. You know, they might make a great shot or posterize someone with a thundering dunk, and they are not making gentle gestures to heaven, thanking Jesus and, you know, pointing to the sky. They're not, they don't do that. Um, even the Bucks players, that, you know what they do? They, they step over their victim and they stare them down and they beat their chest and they're like, yeah, I own you. That's what they do. Um, that's what they are expected to do. They're teaching our kids to do this, right? To talk trash and to beat their chests and things like that. Even the Bucks players this week, except, except for Drew Holiday, uh, the Bucks point guard, they were all celebrating themselves. And the Bucks are probably one of the most humble teams in the NBA. I watched at some of the celebration and they would give the mic to, to Chris Middleton or Giannis or Brooke Lopez and they would praise their teammates. And I love that about our Milwaukee Bucks. And there's a lot to celebrate about what the Bucks have accomplished this last week. But very few of the Milwaukee Bucks were praising God or giving glory to Jesus Christ this last week. Um, compared with other great teams in the NBA, the Bucks are humble, selfless, and resilient. You know, Giannis Antetokounmpo is a remarkably different kind of superstar. He's refreshingly unselfish and humble. I love the Bucks, but let's face it, they're in it for themselves. They're in it for themselves. And, um, and that's just normal. That's, that's normal for, for Americans. And this is so important. In an age where everyone seems to want credit for something new or big that they were a part of, these nameless Christians have been written in the greatest story ever told, God's rescue story. And we might never know their names. They did not ask for any credit for this. They are just doing what they know God wants them to do. They're being obedient. They're being um, open and generous and honest about their faith. They were ordinary believers like you and me, and the only reason their witness to Jesus was effective and powerful is because God was with them. And that should remind us that everything good in our life is a gift from God. That's what separates us from, from everybody else. We go through good times and bad times like everyone else, right? But the difference is we acknowledge that God has brought it all to pass, that God is going to bring a good purpose out of all of it, and we thank Him for all of it. We can rejoice in all of it. And, and that's what makes Christians different. And, and these particular Christians, they 
We're seizing opportunities to talk to people about Jesus and, and who, he, who he is and what he has done. They were taught the word. They were taught the scriptures, the good news about Jesus. And now that they are disconnected from their church leaders, they're doing what they've been taught to do. They're teaching others. They're spreading the news that Jesus is alive. They, they talk about Jesus because they're passionate about Jesus. They used to be dependent on the, on the Christian on the apostles and the deacons to do a lot of the ministry and preaching and evangelism. And now they have been separated from all those leaders. They're on their own, and they would never have discovered their gifts and their power if this chaos had not happened. They discovered that they have a story to tell. They have power they, they might not have known they had. And sometimes God will do this in our lives. He will apply pressure to your life, and you have a choice. You can hide your faith or you can share your faith. You can play it safe or you can take a risk. You know, this is a, an important season for our church. The enemies of God are working overtime to cause division among us, to disrupt our fellowship in Christ. The enemies of God want to tear us apart, and they will use any means necessary. Politics, race, uh, sin, opposition, broken relationships. We started the series back in June in Acts chapter 1 with a, a, a sermon called The Church Has a Mission. And our, our mission is to be witnesses of Jesus. My job as your pastor is to equip you for mission. Um, my job is to preach and teach about Jesus. My job is to tell you to tell others about Jesus. My job is not to preserve your safety and comfort. Every week, we are so quick to go back to what's familiar and comfortable, but familiar and comfortable are not in our mission. Our mission is all about movement. And we are on the move to redeem people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. When does the mission happen? When does most of the preaching and evangelism happen? When does the church get traction? Is it when we gather? Not really. It's when we scatter. And that's what happens in the book of Acts. God's kingdom grows when God's people scatter. Being scattered is one of the best things that ever happened to the early church. And when we go back home today, we are not done worshiping. We are not done seeking God. We are not done bearing fruit. We are just getting started. We are not the church on Sundays. We are the church every day. We are on the move every day. So who in your neighborhood needs to hear the good news about Jesus? Who at your kid's school needs to be set free from the power of sin and darkness and experience a new beginning through faith in Jesus Christ? Who in your community needs to know that, God's, that God loves them and is calling them home? Who, who of your colleagues at work needs to know what your life is really about and, and, and this grace that has set you free? I know that some of you are afraid to talk about Jesus in public, and, and you probably have a lot of good reasons for that. I get it. I struggle with fear, too. I struggle with doubts. I struggle with that tension between wanting people to like me and wanting them to know Jesus. But the gospel message was never meant to be kept safe in the church building. It is meant to be announced to the world, and that's when its true power is unleashed. So as we scatter this week, will you tell one person about God? Will you tell one person about Jesus, about our church, and invite them to consider that they need God more than they need anything else. You have everything you need to be a messenger. All it takes is faith. Thank you so much for watching today. I would love to see you um, at, our, at our picnic today. And if not, I invite you to come join us next Sunday um, on August 8th. We're going to have a guest with us, Pastor Brian Hoffmeister of Lake Point Church in Muskego. He's a good friend of mine. He's been a great support for our church over the years. He's preached at Cross Point before. 
and he is uh, a dear friend. So I encourage you to come out on Cross Point. You're going to be glad that you did, and you're going to be encouraged in your faith. So I hope to see you soon. Please join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is living and active, that your word gives us power, and that when we obey you, God, you do so much more than we could ask or imagine. So God, as you send us into your world this week, as you send us into our neighborhood, as you send us into our communities, may we not be shy, may we not be silent, but may we be, may we be bold, may we be intentional, and may we be ready to share this great news about Jesus so that other people can know you as we do. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.